All right, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 12 is what we're focusing on. Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 12. This is just after Barnabas and Saul had been set apart by the church in Antioch to go on their first missionary journey. It says in Acts 13, 4, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to understand and to believe your word We pray, Lord, that you would convict us wherever necessary and encourage us, that you would guide us and change us by the truth we see today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So we're in a passage that mentions a a, a false prophet, a false teacher, and if you spend time in the Bible, if you read the Bible, you see that this happens quite a bit. Old Testament, you got false prophets. New Testament, you got false prophets, false teachers. In fact, it is a very frequent warning about the dangers of false teachers, false prophets, false doctrine throughout the New Testament. And, you know, this this tends to, to at least leave us in a position where we know, okay, false doctrine is a serious thing. It's a thing. False teachers are out there. But then it looks like we have like two popular approaches, or at least let me just say that there are two extreme responses to the idea of false teachers. On the one, uh, you, on the one hand, you have people that are doctrinally disinterested, right? They're just indifferent. Uh, they, they, they don't want to engage. They, they don't want to uh, look too closely at false doctrine. They're not going to speak about it. They'll just kind of leave it alone, right? True doctrine, false doctrine, whatever, they're going to kind of stay out of it because it's controversy or ugly, and they don't like that. And then on the other hand, there are what you could call heresy hunters, right? Heresy hunters are usually self-appointed, theologically-minded people who, uh, who are on the constant hunt for bad theology. And wherever they find it, they're going to call it out. They're going to point it out. They're the, well, actually kind of people who are constantly critiquing and measuring people's statements and then uh, 
oftentimes not making a good enough distinction between levels of false doctrine, which we're going to get into a little bit later. Frankly, heretic hunters can be very annoying and oftentimes uh, damage the church by not being very discerning, though they tend to think that they are. Those that are doctrinally indifferent uh, are causing harm to the church by not valuing the place that theology is supposed to have and protecting against genuine dangers, spiritual dangers that do afflict the church today. For us, and what you guys are already at at Redeemer by and large is, like, I want us to value theology, right? To, 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 and to understand the importance of addressing false teaching and knowing false teachers and prophets when we see them. And the reason is this, and this is the principle that I want you to hold on to because this is going to help temper us as we look into this issue of false teachers and prophets. False teachers work to create distance between you and Jesus. That's the principle. Whether they intend to do so or not, false teachers work, they actively work to create distance between individuals, between people, and Jesus. Keep that principle in mind as we walk through the account. And uh, as we do this, uh, we're going to look at things like the mission. We're just going to go verse by verse. Right? We're going to look at the mission. We're going to look at this magician, the opportunity for the gospel to spread. So just follow along with me and keep that principle in mind. False teachers work to create distance between you and Jesus. Those are the stakes. So the account begins in verses 4 and 5 as the mission begins. Barnabas and Saul being sent out, right? They're sent out on this journey to preach the gospel and make disciples. But note what it says. They were sent out by whom? Holy Spirit. So let's just, let's just recognize this for a minute. They're not self-appointed people. Don't, listen, be very careful with leaders, spiritual leaders, pastors, preachers who are self-appointed, who just decide one day, it should be me. And then they go and do their own thing. My advice is, stay away. These are not self-appointed people who just decided one day to go and do their own thing. They were commissioned by a church, prayed over by a church, but that wasn't even the whole of it. And it wasn't that they had a great strategy that led them to, to going out, though they certainly do have a strategy. These people were sent by the Holy Spirit. It is God who sends his ministers into the world. So this is how it begins. They are sent out, and the first thing they do is they make this, this short trip, right? They went down to Seleucia. They just got to get down there because that's where the port is. They got to get onto a boat and they got to get down to Cyprus and they want to get to Cyprus. It's going to take them about a day, maybe less than a day if the weather is easy and calm. So they're going to get in this boat, head to Cyprus. And, you know, Cyprus is, uh, is a great place. There's a, there's a large Jewish community there. And so uh, they can start preaching the gospel by going into uh, the synagogues. And when they get there, they are welcomed by the Jews, right? There are a lot of synagogues there. And uh, they know, like, listen, we can show up. And if we get in good with our Jewish brothers and sisters, they'll let us come into the synagogues, recognizing us as teachers, and we can unpack the scripture. The scripture that says that they read and debate and discuss all the time. We can do it and then walk them through what the scripture says and how they point to Jesus. That's their strategy. And it works. You, you see that, uh, that they arrived. They were proclaiming the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Now, this is good. This is a great strategy because they have a starting point, right? A common ground. 
Like these are not just monotheists. These are people who believe in Yahweh, like the God of the Bible. And they have been pouring over the scriptures for probably their whole lives. And so here come these evangelists, these apostles, preaching Jesus from those very scriptures. So it's a good strategy. And they're not by themselves. It's not just Barnabas and Saul. It says that they have uh, John Mark is with them. We don't know exactly what his role was, but he seems to be serving them, an assistant, maybe an apprentice of some sort, but he's with them doing whatever needs to be done. So they're on their mission, and when they're on their mission, right, they wind up encountering a magician in verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So they've been covering the island with their teaching, right? They're covering the island. They're going everywhere that they can, making their way to Paphos. And now this is a, this is a major city. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, it's, it's exciting. I mean, if, if you were traveling during this time, this would be a city that you'd want to go to. Uh, wealthy. They had it all. Uh, including a whole lot of idolatry. In fact, just so you understand the context, uh, this is where one of the great temples to Aphrodite was. Aphrodite was the goddess of love, sensuality, sexuality, uh, things like that, beauty. And, uh, and though there are different forms of worshiping Aphrodite, one of the common forms was through sexual immorality and even prostitution. So like prostitution was, uh, was something that linked itself to Aphrodite, and so there were temple prostitutes and whatnot. It was, a, it was a very immoral, sexually promiscuous sort of culture that the, that the disciples landed in when they, or when these apostles landed in order to begin preaching the gospel and plant churches. So while they're there doing their thing, right, they're preaching, they're making disciples, they're having the God's blessing is with them, they run into somebody named bar Jesus. Now, just to clear up the name, Bar Jesus means, Bar means son of, so it's son of Jesus. It's not son of Jesus of Nazareth. It's son of some guy named Jesus because Jesus was like the name John or Joe. It was was a common name of the day. So we had Jesus of Nazareth. That's different from this Jesus. So whoever this Jewish person was, uh, he was known as Jesus' son. And uh, what we know about him is that, you know, he was Jewish, that he was a false prophet and that he was involved in the occult. I mean, this is what we learn when we, it says he was a Jewish false prophet and a magician. All of these things can be true. So he was raised with the, the Hebrew scriptures. He was, he, was, he was taught about Yahweh and yet at some point along the way, he deviated from all of that and embraced these other religions and in particular, he gets involved into the occult where he can interpret dreams, uh, perhaps um, perform magic rituals and he is tied to or connected to the governor, the governor, Sergius, Paulus, right? Uh, It says that Elymas, the magician, for that is his name. Elias is, a, I think, the Greek form of the word magician. So uh, this it's, it would be Elymas, right? Like the son of Jesus. Elymas uh, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith, right? So, so the, this uh, Simon Bar-Jesus was connected to Sergius. And, and Sergius, what we know about him is, is that he was essentially the, the, the governor, right? He functions as a governor uh, of Cyprus. He's a smart guy, and he appears to be some kind of seeker. 
right? Because he, not, not that he has wisdom, but that he's hungry. And so he's looking for answers. Maybe he's asking some of the right questions. And so he's grabbing people around him that seem to have a, something to say. And he winds up linking up with, with Bar-Jesus because we, we can see that Bar-Jesus is with Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul to hear the word of God. So here is the scene, right? Uh, Sergius the governor, smart guy, always talking to his, his buddy, employee perhaps, uh, Bar-Jesus, who gives him counsel, helps him think through these things. But he hears about Barnabas and Saul, and he wants, to, he wants to hear them. He's like, okay, I want to hear them. He doesn't care where it's coming from. He wants the smartest, the brightest, the wisest people, and he hears these guys are making some waves, so he's like, I want to talk to them. And Bar-Jesus is not having it. Elymas, he doesn't want this. He does not want the governor to go down this path of, of, of looking to Jesus and following Jesus. And this is, again, what false teachers do. False teachers work to create distance between people and Jesus. They do it in a number of different ways. Now, we don't know exactly why Elymas wants to create this distance. Is it because he thought his job was on the line? I mean, ultimately, if, uh, if the governor goes with Barnabas and Saul and believes in Jesus, he's not going to need uh, bar Jesus anymore. He'll just, he'll just let that magician go. We don't really know. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what his motives are. What's important is that he was a false prophet holding out some other truth in conflict with the gospel, and he wanted to lead the governor away from the gospel. That's what's happening. False teachers work to create distance between us and Jesus. Now, what happens? How does Paul respond? He wants to turn the proconsul away from the faith, verse 9, but Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? So he rebukes hard. I mean, this is hard, right? This is, this is harsh language. This is, this is not stern. This seems really hard. Why is Paul so fired up? And Paul's, it, says, it says, like, Paul's mad-dogging him. He's looking him in his eyes. He's looking him at his eyes intensely, and then he starts letting him have it. He let him have it. Why is he so mad? Why is he so intense? See, Saul's responding this way because it's not just, oh, they're disagreeing about something. It's not just like, oh, he has a different take on this. This is a person who is actively trying to lead somebody away from Jesus and into hell itself. This is a person who is seeking to hold out promises for a man that guarantee his damnation and stand in the way of the only offer of hope that this guy will get. And Saul's not having it. He says, you need to know who you are, and he's saying it where everybody can hear it. So it's not just a warning for the magician, it's a warning for everybody. He lets him know who he is and what's he's, what he really is about. Saul's doing this because the stakes are high. We're talking about the difference between heaven and hell. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about someone's soul. So yeah, Saul's a little fired up. So he offers the rebuke and then there is judgment. He says in verse 11, and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately... The lights are turned off in this guy's brain. He cannot see a thing. The magician goes, in fact, blind. 
cannot see. So now he and everyone else knows that this is an act of judgment upon a false prophet. And now this guy has to ask people to lead him by the hand wherever he goes because he can no longer make his way around the city that he knows and loves. And then there is the conversion. It says the proconsul, that is the governor, he believed He believed. He's converted. When he saw what had occurred, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He was genuinely, soundly converted. You see, you can't actually stop God from converting somebody. You can't stop the spread of the gospel. If God's people are willing to preach it, God will use it to bring his his elect to faith. God will use it to cause the church to grow and to expand. Yeah, false teachers work to create distance between us and Jesus. And that means something to us. It should mean something to us. And it, it probably is a challenge for a lot of us because even if you are theologically oriented, most of us aren't looking to pick a fight with people. But sometimes you do have to fight. Sometimes we will have to fight. So when we get into this, I want us to talk about false teachers here for just a few minutes and clarify a few things. Because it can go wrong. As soon as we understand that this is important, we have to engage, it can go wrong. It can go pretty bad. You can become the heresy hunter, and we don't want that. Right? So, number one, we'll start with this. What is a false teacher? Because not everybody who says something wrong theologically is a false teacher. I say things that are wrong sometimes as a teacher. It doesn't make me a false teacher. You say some things that are wrong. You might believe some things that are wrong. It doesn't make you a false teacher. A false teacher is one who is actively teaching serious doctrinal error. That's what a false teacher is. And this can be people that are outside of the church or inside of the church. Someone who is teaching, actively teaching, serious doctrinal error. Now, as soon as I say serious, you're going to be like, well, okay, so what's serious and what's not serious? Are some doctrines not serious? Well, some doctrines are less critical to the faith than others. Right? There are those core doctrines that, that make up the essence of the Christian faith that, that Christians hold together, right? Presbyterians, Baptists, non-denominational, right? It, it, what we call that, that center of theology, we call that orthodoxy. And it includes things like the Trinity, right? Uh, the, the humanity and divine nature of the Son of God. It, it includes the, the gospel, of course, that a person can only be reconciled to God, have his or her sins forgiven, and receive eternal life through faith alone in Jesus Christ and in what Jesus did on the cross. Like, there, there are certain core things that are critical to the faith, without which you don't have the Christian faith, without which you don't have a relationship with God. Then there are other doctrines that are important, but won't necessarily bar somebody from heaven Right? It's not that kind of error. In fact, this is what we mean when we talk about heresy. The word heresy gets thrown around a lot, way too much. Somebody says something bad, that's a heresy. If somebody teaches a doctrine that's wrong, if they, if they teach something about the timing of Jesus' return, we don't like it, we sometimes call that guy's a heretic. Uh, maybe somebody is charismatic and we're not charismatic, well, one of us is a heretic. That's not what heresy is. Heresy is not somebody who has a different opinion doctrinally than you on something heresy is is a is a is a doctrinal error if when believed would lead us away from saving faith that's what heresy is 
Heresy is a doctrine that, if believed, means we are not trusting in Christ. That's really, I mean, that's how, that's how we're going to define heresy here today. So that means that there are some things that are heretics, right? Things that will lead to people being condemned. And there are other things that may be false doctrines, right? But that doesn't mean that you're a, you're a false teacher preaching heresy in, this, in that way. And it's important for us to know the difference, right? We have to know the difference between theological error, which is still important. We've got to deal with it. That's where we debate, discuss, disagree as brothers and sisters. Theological error and heresy. Some doctrines are less critical to the nature of faith and others are very critical. And even then, when we're talking about like critical doctrines, for example, when I became a Christian, I did not understand the doctrine of the Trinity, I'm 50 years old now. Guess what I still don't understand? I don't understand the doctrine of the Trinity. I get some of it, right? And you know why I get some of it? Because we've had 2,000 years of the smartest people on the planet like working through Scripture to articulate it. So there is an orthodox view of the Trinity that the church has long maintained for centuries and centuries. It's great. I understand it as much as I can. When I became a Christian, no concept of it. I just knew Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sins, and I believed, and I was saved. And somebody told me, we were talking, and somebody referred to Jesus as God, and I was like, whoa, you mean son of God. I just thought I'd correct you on that. And they're like, well, yeah, he's son of God, but he's God in the flesh. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're, I have no idea what you're talking about. And okay, so like, I clearly have an unorthodox view of the Trinity, but I'm not a false teacher. I'm just ignorant. I'm just ignorant. Sometimes people will pray, and they'll be like, they'll be like, Lord, Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Okay, we all pray goofy prayers sometimes because we're folk. You know, that usually happens because you're, it's not because you're trying to articulate detailed theology. It's because you're talking, you're actually talking to God and you're not paying attention to your word choice. That technically is a heresy, okay? Believing that the Father died on the cross. That's a, it's an old heresy, patri passionism or something. Uh, but we know that the person praying that isn't a heretic. We can all ease up, right? We can ease up a little bit on being quick to explain that everybody is a heretic who gets anything theologically wrong. Theological error needs to be addressed in its appropriate time. We can debate it and discuss it. Heresy, proper heresy that is being actively taught, that needs to be addressed differently. See how Paul addresses it here. Quickly, publicly, We've got to know the difference. We have to know what orthodoxy is. Now, why is this such a dangerous thing, this, these false teachers, false prophets, and heretics that still exist today? I think verse 10 spells it out beautifully for us. Paul says, You son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. So this is really gets at the heart of why this is so dangerous. Because false teachers forget their motives. Some false teachers have good motives, right? They're actually, they're actually they're coming from a place of conviction. And then others are not coming from that place of, of sincere conviction. They're just liars. But the, the motives are irrelevant to us at this point. All false teachers that are preaching a false gospel, leading people away from Jesus, are instruments of the devil. They are instruments of the devil. Now, this doesn't mean that you assault them, that you... Uh, that you, that you hurl like abuse abuses at them verbally to understand that they are in league with the devil whether they know it or not is helpful because it shows us how serious the matter is they're not neutral however they may feel about it they are active they are being actively used by satan they're a tool 
of a satanic conspiracy to lead people away from redemption in Jesus. That's how we should think about false teaching, heresy. They are instruments of the devil and they stand against the truth. Right, you see it? You're enemy of all righteousness. They stand against the truth. They're not for it. Right, in the end, they are going to lead, they might have certain aspects that are true, like almost Almost all philosophies, I would imagine, have certain elements of truth. But when it comes to heresy, that in the end, they are saying no to Christ as the only sacrifice for sins, the only means by which we can be made right with God, then that means that their system, right, is itself dangerous. They are opposed to all righteousness, which means they cannot be trusted, full of deceit and villainy. You can't trust what they say, how they use scripture. Again, what does Satan do? He twists the word of God, casts doubt upon the word of God. They want to be trusted. They want you to trust them. And false teachers will appeal to their success, to their numbers, to their following, to their platform. Look at what I have. Look at what God has done for me. But they cannot be trusted. And number four, here's where the stakes are high. We've been saying this. They will lead people away from Jesus. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? You see, Jesus lays it out for sinners like us. He says, you can be reconciled to God. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have your guilt washed away. You can be remade into the image of God that you have messed up. You can be given the divine purpose in such a way that it is clear for you You can know who you are and you can become who you are supposed to be through this redemption that Jesus says that I accomplished for you on the cross. And the way to get it is a straight path. It's straight to Jesus. And false teachers make it crooked, make it windy, make it crazy, make it unappealing. They do everything they can to turn people away from faith in Christ. And I know you're thinking like, well, okay, so false teachers are teaching serious doctrinal error, right? Tending towards heresy. They can be inside the church. They can be outside the church. They can be a part of a Christian organization or they can be an antagonist to a Christian organization. But we need to know the difference between false teachers and people that are just wrong on some stuff. And so let me give you five different kinds of false teachers, Five kinds of false teachers. Uh, we're going to do this quick. And if you want to read more on this, uh, Tim Challies, who is a pastor up in Canada, it's okay, he's got good stuff. Um, he's up in Canada, and uh, he's got seven kinds of false teachers, right? And so uh, his seven are similar to my five. Um, he's got a bit more detail in there. Uh, uh, five kinds of, of false teachers. Number one, this is a classic heretic, which is what we've been talking about, right? These are people that are teaching explicit doctrines that contradict the word of God on uh, the nature of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Second uh, Peter chapter two, verses um, one. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing them upon themselves swift destruction. Right? So we have the classic heretic, right? This is what we understand. Somebody's teaching something that is not just wrong, that needs to be addressed. It will lead them away from Jesus. Number two, there is the spiritual abuser. 
oftentimes, and these are false prophets, these are false teachers, the spiritual abuser is a leader in the church who will use his position and bend doctrine in order to take advantage of and exploit or abuse the members of the church. And this oftentimes manifests itself in sexual abuse. If you've been paying attention at all over the last four years, you've seen this in evangelical and in Baptist life. These are false teachers. If we just go back to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, it continues in verse 2, for many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. People abandon the faith. People deconvert or deconstruct oftentimes because of the, 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 this spiritual abuse that leads to all kinds of other abuses by leaders in our churches. These are false teachers. Classic heretic, spiritual abuser, there is the con man. The con man, right? The classic heretic might be a person of conviction who sincerely believes their wrong interpretation of the Bible, but the con man doesn't believe anything. The con man believes in one thing, really, money. Taking advantage of people. The con man is in it for himself. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse... Three, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. That's how they approach ministry and theology. They are in it for themselves. You frequently see these people flying their own jets around. Ain't nothing wrong with owning your own jet, for the record, in case I ever get one. Never going to get one. I don't want one. Uh, there's nothing wrong with owning a jet. But you, when you see these preachers and TV preachers, oftentimes, you know what? Could be something to look at. Could be something to look at. So they have, they have all this money that they're amassing through the, the perversion of gospel and truth. Then there's the controversialist. The controversialist is another kind of false teacher in that they elevate almost all doctrines or many doctrines to the same level so they no longer practice discernment, which they usually think that they are. They no longer practice discernment. And they elevate these doctrines to the same level and oftentimes in doing so, so flatten things that they are now making other doctrines aspects of orthodoxy that aren't condemning others as if they are no longer Christian because they're getting something wrong. The controversialists love and feed off of drama and heat. They want to see the, the, not only the excitement, but they want to see the fight. They, they, they like seeing the church tear itself apart because in their mind, in some way, this is how you get to the real core of it all. In Jude... Starting in verse 18, it says, They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. The controversialist is oftentimes a false... Not, not everybody who's controversial is a false teacher. But the controversialist is a form of a false teacher that does rise up often, leading many people astray and into a form of legalism 
and bondage. And then fifth, lastly, there is the people pleaser. This is the one everybody likes, the people pleaser. It's the one with the fake white, super white cap teeth, you know, the nice suit, like the whole, nothing wrong with the suit or cap on your teeth. I'm not, I'm just saying, you know who I'm talking about. I'm just saying, like, there are guys out there, there are people out there, there are men and women out there that are people pleasers with their doctrine, which means that uh, they will not affirm the hard truths of, 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 the, of, of the scripture. They, they will not share the bad news but they will try to share the good news. But the reality is, unless you give people the bad news, they cannot understand or appreciate the good news. If, in fact, if you don't give people the bad news, and I'll tell you what that is in a minute, then there is no good news. The bad news is that we are all sinners condemned in our sins, like we are all sinners. None of us are worthy of God's grace or mercy. We all deserve punishment for what we have done in our lives, even just in our minds. We are condemned and separated from God. That's the bad news, and it's our own fault. It's our own doing. The good news is that God will forgive us of our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness, bring us close to himself, grant us life, abundant life, eternal life, and then progressively change us and fit us for eternity with him. And he offers it to us for free. We pay nothing for it. We do not have to jump through hoops. We simply receive that gift by believing in his son who made it all possible through his life, death, and resurrection. Right? That's, that's the, the hard truth leading to the good truth. If, if preachers avoid the hard truth of people are sinners that are going to hell, that we need God's grace in order to be forgiven, then they can never get there because what they're left with is positivity, encouragement, superficial encouragement, direction, rules for living, practical living, but it never deals with the nature of the human heart. So we've got various kinds of false teachers, and they're more than this, but whatever form they take, they are always putting distance between people and Jesus. That's, the, that's the, the thread that runs through it all. So what do we do? What do we do about this? Well, let me just say briefly that we need to value and, and know the truth. And I, and I think you do at Redeemer. I, I really do. I, I see this modeled here well. You've got to value the truth and know the truth because the more familiar you are with the truth, the more protected you are from error. Because you don't go spending your life studying all the forms of error as much as you study the truth. So if you study the truth, you can spot the error. You can spot, spot the counterfeits much more easily. You also want to champion the gospel. This is something that we should be doing, championing the gospel. We should love our doctrine. We should love our tradition. We should, we should love all of it. But what stands above it all is Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is what Paul makes his primary business. This is the constant preaching of the apostles throughout the book of Acts. There are many doctrines to know and to hold dear. We should take them all seriously. But the gospel is what unites us to one another as brothers and sisters, across denominational lines even. Number three, uh, what should we do? We should be warning people. When we see the danger, when we hear the, 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 the heresy being taught, then we should stand up and say something. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to stand up and throw your Bible at the false teacher on the stage. Uh, you don't have to. Uh, <laughs> But what I, what I do mean, though, is like you, you have an opportunity to warn people, whether you warn the false teacher or whether you warn the people listening. If you're there and you know there is a false teacher, and more than likely, they're not going to be in front of the false teacher. There'll be a book or a tape or a podcast that somebody that you know is listening to. You think God has you there to really watch them go down that path? Or do you think God has you there to warn them about that path? 
that they're listening to somebody who has made the straight path crooked. So we need to warn people. But we also need to be discerning. That's the last thing I just want to tell you. Be discerning because we do not want to wind up throwing people who err out of the kingdom by judging them harshly as a heretic simply because they're wrong on secondary matters that are still important but not essential to our salvation. Look, we, and I I speak for us here, I I think we're relatively safe, but please be careful, be humble, right? Because if you do understand the truth and you can spot heresy, if that's true of you, that's not because you're smart. That's because God was kind to you and gave you some knowledge. It's because God put people in your life to teach you or to lead you. He put resources in your life to to instruct you and to build you up. If you have a good understanding of theology so that you can warn other people of heresy, be humble because it's not you that got you there. It's God. In other words, you're dumb. You don't have any reason to boast. I'm dumb. I don't have any reason to boast. If I've learned anything, it's by God's grace that I've learned something. So let's be humble. And also, let's be humble because none of us are beyond being tricked or deceived by false teachers. I can be led astray. You can be led astray. I know we think, no way. How's that possible? I've got the confession tattooed on my hand. I'm a lock. There's no way. I'm, 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 I'm f- because, because we're dumb. However smart we think we are, man, it is, just, it is so possible, right? This is why you have so many warnings about apostasy in the New Testament, because it's possible for us to wander from the faith, to wander. So be humble and hold on to that gospel. Hold on to Jesus that you might know it for yourself and offer it to others. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would continue to encourage us in our ignorance to grow in wisdom and knowledge Lord, you've brought us this far by grace. We're so thrilled, and we know that you'll carry this through to completion. Guard us against false teaching, but let us have courage to address it when we see it. To disagree and to debate, Lord, with our brothers and sisters, that's important and good, but to be very serious about those doctrines that would lead people away from Jesus. Lord, give us success in evangelizing by being faithful to your word, and we do pray, Lord, that we would see many come to faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.